Cognitive biases are a product of our marvelous human brain, where we can think fast, as Daniel Kahneman calls it, or think slow, depending upon what the decision is. And it's a glitch when we sometimes over-apply the thinking fast to situations that might require more of a mix of thinking fast and slow. A cognitive bias is an error in thinking. It's like an optical illusion. The difference is we know not to trust optical illusions. Cognitive ones are just much harder to recognize. In the last 40 years, more than 80 different cognitive biases have been defined like our tendency to see patterns in random events, or to overvalue information that is available to us, or to fail to recognize our own biases. Hi, and welcome to the final episode of Season 3. I'm your host, Shreya C. Singh, founder and CEO of Harappa Education, an online learning institution making your world of work better with good habits. This time, we're talking about cognitive biases, where they come from, and some habits that can help you fight them. Keep listening. Cognitive biases come from the two systems of thinking. System one, which is fast and impulsive um, and, and very practiced and effortless. And system two, which is a part of our brain, uh, the system that makes the rational, analytical, complicated calculations. And that's sort of the foundation of all cognitive biases, which is that uh, while we have these two systems and they work marvelously, sometimes uh, we make errors when we sort of overextend system one. Hi, I'm Neela. I'm an independent consultant. I'm really passionate about applying behavioral science to, well, just about anything. Uh, Currently, I use it to examine problems in public health, financial inclusion, and charitable giving. You use system two thinking or slow thinking with tasks that need focus and attention, like parking in a narrow space, writing a headline, or computing numbers on Excel. If you don't give these tasks your full attention, they might suffer. System one, on the other hand, is fast, automatic, and involuntary. You use it when you drive on an empty road, sense a friend is angry, or trust or mistrust a stranger. System one thinking makes life easy. It simplifies complex decisions with mental shortcuts called heuristics, which reduce the time and effort it takes to come to a conclusion. But because these shortcuts aren't always reliable, they sometimes cause errors in judgment. That's how cognitive biases are born. Pavan Mamadi, who's director of the Center for Social and Behavior Change at Ashoka University and a former professor at IIM Ahmedabad, explains how fast and slow thinking can lead to starkly different outcomes with a vivid example. Richard Taylor uh, has a compelling example to demonstrate the gap between systems one and systems two. Imagine for a moment that you had two metal rails. Uh, Each one is one kilometer long and they were and then they are lying uh, in, a, in a sequence on flat on the ground, touching each other. And let us say that these two metal rails during summer expand by a centimeter each. And because they expand, they bump up a little because there's not enough space for both of them to rest on the ground. They bump up a little. And now you are asked to estimate the height by which these two rails have bumped up. In other words, the two rails now constitute a triangle with the base, right? And you're you're being asked to estimate the height by which the two rails are bumped up without any calculations 
or a calculator at your disposal, what would your estimate be? Are you thinking one centimeter, five centimeters, 10 centimeters maybe? Pause the podcast for five seconds and lock your answer in. Most people in my class, when I present this example, gravitate to around five centimeters or lesser. But guess the answer if you were to calculate it rationally. It will surprise you. Hold your breath. It is a whopping 450 centimeters. In other words, it is close to 4.5 meters and not centimeters. This shows you by how far Systems 1 can take you astray from a rational answer obtained by the application of the apparatus of rationality. And this dramatizes the, the gap that often arises between Systems 1 and Systems 2. Like the wrong answers that seem right, biases lull us into a false sense of security because they come naturally to us. Neela groups cognitive biases into four broad categories. There are many, many, many cognitive biases. It's almost like a cottage industry. Um, the first group is biases that arise because of too much information. And this is a problem in our world right now, too much information. Uh, these are biases like uh, basically salience biases, which is a tendency to use available information to make a judgment rather than the best information to make a judgment. Uh, a very common one also is confirmation bias, the tendency to search for something that is confirming and actually ignoring other evidence. This is a, a function of too much information. Confirmation bias is in large part responsible for deepening political divides. Each side believes it's right and is unable to understand the other. That's why it's hard to have rational discussions about politics, and that's why you don't discuss politics at the dinner table. Given the deepening divide over politics globally, we've all by now had violent, impassioned disagreements over politics with friends and family we otherwise love and respect. Confirmation bias is closely related to another type of information bias common among professionals, even wise experts. Let's say hello to selection bias. Take, for instance, bureaucrats who have worked for 30 or 40 years, and they're afflicted by a form of professional empiricism. Because they have, um, you know, they have experience of 30 to 40 years in a particular field, they believe that that entitles them to accurate information about what they have experienced. Now, that can go seriously wrong for the simple reason that when you're in a position of power, there is a selection bias that operates, which is there are only certain types of people who meet you, given that you're a very powerful person, and they're likely to give you information that is biased, you know, that may be flattering to you or which may be misleading to you and so on. So as a result of that, you are likely to form opinions about the world which are impacted by information that you have gathered only from certain types of people and, and, and not from a random sample. In addition to the informational category of biases, Neela identifies three other categories. A uh, second category is too little meaning. So this is when we have information and we have to make a decision but the information doesn't provide us with enough meaning for us to make that decision. A classic example of this is when we think that something that's actually random has a pattern. And the third set, a third category is really about prediction. Uh, these are the biases that arise because we have to make predictions and a very, very common one that I see is overconfidence. 
related to prediction is choice and the most common biases there i see are loss aversion which is the side here that losses loom larger than gains and it leads us to all sorts of uh, biases such as the status quo bias the and inertia uh, and one more thing which i think with choice is that the presentation of choices is extremely important whether they are presented as a single option or whether they are presented as multiple options so i would rather say that the common biases fall into these categories too much information too little meaning uh, biases about prediction overconfidence and biases about choice because biases operate at all times in all contexts and every culture they invariably bring them to the world of work too pavan simplifies some biases that surface during decision making at work the first is a zero sum bias or the fixed sum bias let us say two people a and b are negotiating a deal both a and b are likely to assume that either of them will likely lose out if the other wins or that they will win only at the expense of the other in other words there is a fixed pie and it's a finite sized pie and dividing it between the two parties would mean that one's loss would be someone else, the other person's gain and the other person or one's gain is the other person's loss and this is a bias that <clears throat> detracts both the negotiating parties from exploring options which might actually increase the size of the pie and lead to a greater amount to distribute between the two parties so this is the first bias that i can think of it's called a fixed sum bias and here's another to be aware of especially during negotiations second bias that impacts negotiations uh, quite strongly is a bias called anchoring anchoring is a is essentially a, a phenomena that uh makes people stick to a particular position or there is a a certain kind of a a cognitive stickiness around a number so let us again go back to this example of two people a and b negotiating a deal if a makes a first offer and a is a seller and a decides to throw in a number a very high price for the good or service that he or she is selling to be b is likely to get anchored or rather tethered around that number right so if it's an inordinately high number then the prices the the final price is likely to be influenced by this high number that a has anchored b around so that's something that people need to watch out for in negotiations optimism bias also has implications at work we think our lives are unique and our futures brighter and underestimate the chances of things going wrong in our own lives that's why we happily ignore the larger context when making decisions and instead use information that is easiest to access or personal and immediate to us this is called taking an inside view it leads to a blinkered understanding of situations in contrast an outside view takes into account similar situations in other contexts and factors in the unknown unknowns to arrive at more rational conclusions in matters of business overconfidence has a useful role to play but it's also something to watch out for as we've earlier explored in this podcast with companies and individuals losing their judgment often to very damaging consequences 
we want to think that our venture is the one that's likely to succeed, even though we know the statistics that 95% of all new businesses fail. And that's really important. I think without that, we wouldn't take risks, but it also has a downside when we are trying to make accurate predictions about something. A word of warning here. The discoverer of biases, Nobel laureate and self-proclaimed pessimist Daniel Kahneman has a humbling revelation for us. In his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he writes, and I begin quotes here, the question that is most often asked about cognitive illusions is whether they can be overcome. The message is not encouraging. End of quote. That's because we're terrible at spotting our own biases. But on the bright side, we love finding mistakes in others. The antidote lies here. According to Kahneman, the best check to biases, along with awareness, lies outside, in other people. It's far easier for them to spot our biases, just as it's easier for us to spot theirs. So one of the tactics I would really strongly advocate is uh, to do things like have what I call a devil's advocate for a decision making which could either be a trusted friend or peer, or in a group decision-making, you actually allocate that role to someone whose job actually is to uh, get to the fore and opposing argument. And that helps with things like confirmation bias. It helps with not anchoring too much on a particular piece of information. It helps with uh, the salience and the tendency to just pick up information that's immediately available. So I think recognizing biases and having a sort of devil's advocate really helps. Uh, a third thing I think, especially with respect to decision-making, is to uh, to take the time out. You know, we often hear count one, two, three, if you're feeling emotional or angry, and then get to working with a cool head. Uh, there is a lot of research that shows that time scarcity can often lead us uh, to be much more reliant on our system one. So, uh, and there are times of day where you don't want to be making decisions. So you might want to identify when your peak decision-making time is uh, and actually work along that and even postpone decisions, even if they seem extremely important to a time when you can give it the time that it requires. Another way to regulate your biases is to have a system of checks and balances that forces you to monitor yourself. Pavan takes an example from the world of aviation to illustrate this. Let's say... Uh... Uh, an airplane uh, goes through some amount of turbulence or the airplane takes a loop for whatever reason, right? Um, the ability to distinguish be between the sky and the earth gets diminished for a, for a brief period of time, right? And then it leads to confusion in the, in the mind of the pilot. And if the pilot were to depend purely on his or her senses to make a decision as to which direction is up and which direction is down, there is a possibility, there's a non-trivial likelihood of an accident, of, of a crash. So one of the reasons why pilots are asked to depend on instruments is that instruments are not afflicted by the same temporary loss of sensibility, as it were. So in, in other words, what we are demanding here is a shift away from a systems one of the decision maker to uh, a, a form of instrumentation, a, a proceduralism or a process which allows the decision makers to follow the process and not depend on his or her uh, systems one thinking. 
you too could use processes to bypass your biases. Let's take the present bias, for example, which is our tendency to favor present rewards over future ones. This happens because most of us can't empathize with the future selves. That's why we choose spending money today over saving for retirement. But what would happen if you opted to automatically move your money to a savings account every month? This way, you'd be left with no choice but to save and bypass your bias altogether. If nothing else seems to work, just turn to your blind spot and only pay attention to anything that confirms what you already know. Safe to say, Mr. Kahneman won't be surprised. He knew he was right all along anyway. Thank you for staying right till the end. With that, we reach the end of this episode and also the end of season three. We hope it helps you solve everyday problems with a new lens. Be sure to check out the four other episodes for insightful discussions on the world's biggest problems, from decision-making in crisis, groupthink, and how to think about messy, complicated issues like fast fashion. If you're interested in learning more about busting biases, check out our courses, Making Decisions and Reasoning Logically. Don't forget to avail a 20% discount on both these courses or any other courses from our Solve Habit. Just head to our website, harappa.education, sign up and use the code HABITS20. That is H-A-B-I-T-S-2-0. The link is in the description box as well. Happy learning and see you next season. It's coming soon. Habits Matter is a show brought to you by Harappa Education. This episode was scripted, produced and managed by Nitin Shamsuddin and Soumya Bahuguna under the editorial direction of Seema Chaudhary. Shout out to Madhavan, a super talented audio engineer and a brilliant design team for the Snazzy Creatives. Follow Habits Matter on Instagram at habits.matter and Harappa Education on your favorite social media channels.